Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 463 on Tuesday, the 29th of March, 2022. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we'll be talking about the government using thoughts and prayers as policy now. We'll learn that we need to get Rod Stewart back out there fixing our roads. And we watch a man make a classic car even better. Now, straight into new news. There is no follow-up this week. And you will probably have heard this, but this is a reminder, a public service announcement for you, that the new laws on using your phone whilst driving have come into force as of the 25th of March. Essentially, for nearly everything, you cannot hold your phone in your hand if you are driving. The only time they allow you to hold a phone in your hand whilst the engine is running and the keys are in the ignition is if you are paying for something using Android or Apple pay systemy things that I don't do anyway. I do. Uh, so yes, so if you're pay- paying at a toll booth or paying at a takeaway drive through window, then those are the times when you're allowed to do that. Otherwise, just don't. Yeah, it was closing loopholes that technically you could play a game on your phone or do some other things because they were never specifically covered in the law mm-hmm. because the law at the time that, that that it was made didn't even have that sort of capability in mind. Didn't even dream it up. If your phone's in a holder, you can still jab at sat-navs uh, and and things like that. Though um, that, that is one, one gap in it. Yeah. Uh, next up. There was a big EV event last week hosted by the Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders. Uh, It was called SMMT Electrified. And the Transport Minister. Can you name the Transport Minister, anyone who's not looking at the article in front of me? No, you probably can't, but it's Trudy Harrison. She's the one, if we all remember, who has told us to get used to not owning cars privately. And her constituency is Cumbria. Oh, yes. So she is. I'd compl- you know, she is that memorable. I'd completely forgotten. Anyway, she's vowed that the UK government will help create one of the best electric vehicle charging networks in the world. How are they going to do that, Alan? Well, it's not by spending money on it anyway. Not new money. <laughs> not new money. Yeah, they're just, you, you've got to keep on doing what you're doing. You're going to kind of have to have uh, new charging points and new houses and new supermarkets and things. But there's not actually going to be any law forcing people to do that. It's just going to be kind of because you think you really want to, and that's kind of how it's going to happen. And don't expect any help with the financing of it. No. I think that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? Yes. I was quite scathing on Twitter last week when this came out. How did we pick that out between everything else? I was going to say, it was just totally unlike me. And uh, through a discussion with Tom Callow. Mm-hmm. I I do want to make it clear that I do feel that industry will pick up a lot of this slack naturally. I think so, yes. And I have always thought that industry will get us close to there despite government meddling interference. Oh. And oh yeah. strategies if if they had mm-hmm. any. <laughs> I do like the the second last paragraph in this autocast story, which will be linked in the show notes. It says, a key part of expanding charging provision will be in expanding home charging. Uh, Harrison uh, Harrison said, which will be central to future driver behavior. But she said the government recognized that can also be a barrier. If you don't have access to a driveway at your home, you might think twice about taking the plunge into EVs. Well, come 2030, you're not really going to have much of a choice, are you? No. 
just uh, you can't do it. Oh, it's just the usual sort of woolly, woolly rubbish. Because sort of because they're not mandating it and they are not mm. making it that it has to happen. It it, it well, it's, it, it's like mask it's wearing. It's very, it's very, it's it's so it's almost like it's pointless you getting up there and saying it because you're not adding to yeah. anything. Oh, she is. She's she's added quite a lot of hot air. I'm sure. <laughs> anyway, meanwhile. Back on the farm, and hopefully far more useful than the, that particular set of statements, is that there has been a public consultation launched by the BSI, the British Standards Institute, and it's aiming to set up a set of requirements to ensure the public charging network is accessible to all users. By all users, it means disabled, older people, all flavors of people of other folk as well it's as accessible essentially as a petrol pump is yes that's going to be hard work there will be a link to do do we have the ability to link to it we have the move electric article is linked in the show notes the idea is is that this should help make i hope that this will help make ev charging units easier for people to use and just generally I want to say more accessible. I keep repeating that, but I keep thinking of your experiences as well, where near you there is a charging point where where basically the bays are so close together yeah. that you can barely fit the charging plugs between it, let alone actually access the charger. Yep. If you were in a wheelchair, even Not if you're on crutches or, or just, just couldn't if, walk if you, you If you struggled with mobility, you have no chance yeah. of getting of using our only rapid chargers particularly if nearby vehicles park the way they do inconsistently yes yes the bsi by the way is hoping to publish these standards in the summer of this year cool so we'll try and follow up on that as soon as it comes out so so they're moving quickly on this yeah. good good Th- that's an excellent piece of ev related news yep andrew tell us about renault though in bad pr looks Looks of the week. Yes, Renault, which had only just announced that it was going to reopen its Russian factories and its Russian operations after it closed them due to supply chain issues, is how they announced it to the world. Mm. And this was with apparently the backing of the French government. They have now turned around and gone, no, actually, we're now going to stop all our Russian operations, to the point where they are accepting that they may lose their facilities in Russia. Mm-hmm. Renault is really badly exposed yeah. in all this because they have the uh, they have a couple of factories there that are working under the name of Avtovaz, in which they own a, quite a stake, in a 67% stake, according to this Autocar mm-hmm. Business article. But also, they obviously own Lada yeah. as well, which it, so Russia is a massive market for them, uh, and it is apparently equates to ten percent of their what was it? It was ten percent of their ten percent of its revenue of the of the revenue. They have downgraded their finances as a result, taking into account what they expect the Russian government to do as a consequence of this. Yeah, they, they, they were in a in, understandably in a in a tricky situation with that one i mean th- this is the consequences of for for so many and it's not just the car industry but so many companies that have got facilities and operations in various countries in which perhaps we may not always be on the greatest of terms with going forward yeah. forever so there is always the risk that they could lose everything because said government turns around and goes 
Thanks for that. We're having that now. Yeah. Thanks for all that investment that you've just put in. Tough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, just just quickly to clarify some of the numbers, Renault has sixty seven percent of Avtovaz, which has forty five thousand employees in Russia. That's sort of normal everyday Russians just trying to go on about their lives. It's also a fifth of the global production output from Renault is in Russia, as well as that 10% of its revenue that we mentioned earlier on. So it's a big, big chunk of Renault that they are at risk of essentially just losing. Yep. And that, of course, exposes the French government because they are a a 15% owner of Renault. Andrew, some more news about Rod Stewart then. Yes. Unfortunately, he hasn't covered the rest of the country. <laughs> no, and according to QuickFit, he really needs to get on with it. And if I knew enough Rod Stewart uh, song titles, I would try to work them in. But I'm not that clever. QuickFit has found the cost of damage from potholes in the UK has increased by 35% during the last 12 months, possibly because we're driving significantly more than we were in the 12 months before. So they reckon, by dint of mathematics and magic, that potholes on UK roads cost drivers around £1.7 billion in 2021 and about £500 million more than was seen pre-pandemic. According to QuickFit, 59% of UK drivers hit at least one pothole a week during the previous year. This was up from 46% reported the year before. Half of the pothole damage which suffered was tyres, then wheels and suspension, and one in ten uh, supposedly suffered damage to engine components. I mean, who knew if you continue to underinvest in infrastructure that you would have problems? Yeah, but infrastructure is not like banks, though. It's not sexy. Yes. If your friends don't work in infrastructure, then why on earth are you going to going to invest in it? Mm-hmm. And let's not. Let's not. I mean, I'm already in a bad enough mood. I don't want to keep to continue down this. I route. know this is that's just like poking bear. This one. <laughs> I'm going to move on to Bentley, and they Much have an, better news there. Yes, they have announced their last independent financial results before they are swallowed up by the Audi Group, and this is for 2021. And they have had a oh a record year. Wow. So their operating profits rose to £328.4 million in 2021, which is a... Now sit down for this one. (laughs) If this was the new car registrations, this this would definitely win the most stupid percentage rise of of the month. But it is a percentage increase on their operating profits of (laughs) 1,843%. Now let's let's remember that so it was sixteen point nine million pound profit it recorded in twenty twenty when nobody was doing anything. But they were also investing a lot of money into the into the factory in crew as well. Is that one hundred and uh, lots of development. Whatever whatever that um project is called, was it one hundred years or something? Something I think I think so. I've now forgotten the name of the project, yeah. to be honest. But there was lots of investment going on. Because they've opened the new technology centre, haven't they, there and stuff yeah, like totally. that. Totally. So, so I imagine that 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 accounts at least for part of that difference. Yeah, and they uh, turned over two point four billion last year, and revenue on each car was increased by eight percent compared with twenty twenty. And by the way, twenty twenty was their best year to date before last year. Yeah. So, even though there was the pandemic and everything, that was their best year ever. There is something going well with management, all as. Tied in with that is obviously market factors, 
uh, and the ability of uh, just targeting specific models and that sort of thing as well, which helps. But, it, you know, congratulations to them, because it wasn't so long ago that there was lots of mutterings about Bentley being kicked out the VW group. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it uh, ties in nicely from the, with the chat that we had last week mm. about the, the rest of the Audi group. Obviously, Audi, but more about Ducati and Lamborghini. And people just going, sod it, I've got this money. You don't live forever. Yeah, I've always fancied a Bentley. Let's splash out on a Bentley. Let's splash out on a, on a motorbike or whatever. Yeah. It'd be interesting to know how many people have made that sort of decision. Well, how many new customers they've mm. got as opposed to repeat customers yeah, yeah. from before. I wonder if, if that's something that they would be able to work out. It's the Beyond 100 program, by the way. I've just found it in this article. Yes, that's that's the one. So anyway, in, interesting stuff there. It's, and, and generally, good, new, good news for Britain. Yeah, well done, Bentley. Well done. That is, yes, I'm very happy to hear that. <laughs> Cracking stuff. Do you want to take us to another government thing to do with zero emissions uh, not desperately to be honest uh so the government has announced <laughs> that it's aiming to end the sale of non-zero emission buses and minibuses by 2032 now those of you going huh will have realized uh, much as i did when i started reading this article will have realized that of course the date for new petrol and diesel engine cars is 2035 for commercial vans, it's 2040. So why on earth are, are buses so much earlier is, is what I thought. Supposedly, buses account and coaches account for around 3%. By the way, th throughout this only really says buses. So I'm imagining that coaches are not going to be expected to be uh, to be all electric, which I suppose is going, to, is going to view an interesting fuzz of what's the definition between a coach and a bus for people to get around mm. some of these things. Uh, you see, as uh, more... Well, it does mention buses and coaches. It, it does, but then the it also mentions minibuses. But, 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 but then it also mentions minibuses. Sorry, I'm just mildly confused by this. Uh, it, but it also mentions minibuses, and you think, well, if the vans are allowed, then what's... Is a minibus over 18 seats? Below 18 seats? What's, uh, yeah. Because the, what, um, they, what they're looking to do, actually, is try and phase out between 2025 and 2032. Mm. So it's, you know, the end, the, the furthest date out the government sees at the moment is 2032. I don't think there's the options for bus fleets, no. mini minibus um, yeah. companies to be able to leave in two, in two and a bit years. Not, not really. Not to do what they do now with their internal combustion. It, it will just mean that people hold on. It, it will. And the thing is that buses already have a very, very long life cycle. Very long lifespan, pardon me. Yeah. They, they, they really do. They, you know, and they sort of drop down the sort of, hierarchy until they end up as school buses being the most polluting dirtiest and uh, uh and least safe of all options so it's okay for them to move uh, to move school kids around yeah because because the other the other thing with this as well is it because there are so many limited options hmm. and the ranges are not what perhaps non-urban services need yeah it makes it even worse for semi-rural and rural services. Yeah, because you're going to get the older, scrankier stuff. Well, it's not just even that. It's just they those might stop and, and mm. make the coverage even worse at a time when 
if you talk to anybody slightly rural, there's or or not from <laughs> London centric thinking, you sort of go, mm, that's not how it works out here, though, and that's just going to make that feeling grow even more. Now, now we've just said how much fuzz there is around this. It's worth mentioning that the government is launching a consultation on this, as it does on so, so many topics. Um, <laughs> the consultation obviously doesn't commit them to any kind of action. And part of the reason for the consultation is to try to define exactly which classes of buses and minibuses would be included in this in, in this plan. We've just sort of gone through, obviously, the same sort of thing as, as other people have gone through to, to actually go, well, but what... How's this going to work? Where's this going to work? What What's a minibus? What's a coach? What's a bus? And these kind of things. So lots and lots of questions to be answered there to at least have some kind of driver towards some form of consensus, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, let's see what happens. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm not operating a bus service because... Always glad I'm not operating well, a bus yes, service. there is that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is the end of the very rapid first part of the show. It's much quicker. I expected that to take us longer. Yes. Bizarrely. Yes. Anyway, so that's brought us to Guilt Minute. Quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. Uh, if you feel that the Motoring Podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live no matter how quickly we manage to record the first half <laughs> uh, we also have a small range of merchandise available from our website spring store from stickers to mugs and t-shirts and a pint glass that andrew is waving around off camera very helpful mate well i don't quite know what sound effect i need to make for that slishy slot uh no don't no don't do noise. that That's go wrong <laughs> no one needs to hear me uh, drinking <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's the one that he normally mutes his microphone for during Guilt Minute, which is the open of another shows can. how quick the first part was. Yes, he's not he's not even finished his first can of beer. That made you just made you sound like a complete and utter alky. Anyway, moving on, we also if you don't have any spare cash, and we do completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. Worth mentioning, somebody seemed somebody else seemed to have the miraculous insight recently that that certain podcast charts are not driven. There was some kind of acknowledgement that certain podcast charts are not just driven on the number of downloads. So the interaction of likes and reviews does make a significant difference. Yes, there, there are depending on who it is mm. and which charts they are, the amount of interaction also on social media does impact on some, which is totally unrelated with you know what you produce as a podcaster but yes but some do look at that uh, mm. and, and others are a number of people who leave reviews uh, and ratings as well uh, as well as how regularly you produce your own show it's all witchcraft really. yeah they just basically decide whatever they want is going to make up the charts yeah uh, anyway, if you've done all that, and some of you do, so thank you so much indeed, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. And thank you everyone who does, because we know yes, you do. We do. Sometimes you copy us in as you do it, and that's really appreciated. Mm-hmm. New, new, no motorsport this week. Nope, still waiting. The WRC's a few weeks away yet. Yeah. So, uh, new, new car news, Andrew. Yes. 
And this is the Maserati Grecali, which is their mid-sized SUV that they have unveiled. This is Maserati's uh, mid-sized SUV, so you're thinking along the lines of the Alfa Romeo Stelvio, Porsche Macan. I think they want. I think they the want Macan. you to think about the Porsche Macan. Yeah, yeah, the Stelvio and the Macan size. That's where we're we're coming at it. There's going to be three engine options. There's going to be a two-liter four-cylinder turbo petrol, which is going to be linked into a mild hybrid system. That's standard, and that will produce. Apparently, 296 or 325 brake horsepowers, depending on which trim it's in, because there is GT, Modena, and Trofeo, which is the range topper. And that Trofeo will have a 3-litre twin-turbocharged 90-degree Netuno, Netuno even, V6, which will give out a piffling 523 brake horsepower and 457 pounds foot of torque. Not to 62 in 3.8 seconds, a top speed of 177 miles an hour. Uh, so, yeah, about the same as a Stelvio Quadrifoglio. In figures, but weighs more. Yes, yes. I think it looks all right, despite the press pictures. Even in the press photos, I think it looks all right. I'd like to see one in the flesh. I don't know that I'd choose one in essentially sulfur yellow. No, the yellow does sort of emphasize the large sides a little bit for me mm-hmm. but i think they've done a pretty decent job of making it recognizable as a maserati uh, i like the back end i really like the uh, how what they've done around the back end the front headlights a little bit mm, but they're trying to be my but they, it's it's again it's the it's the making sure they look maserati yeah it's, it's sort of here's here's the face of the maserati and we've just stretched the body up a little bit i mean it's got the three slashes on the on the uh behind the wheel on the wheel arches yeah. i think it looks okay actually in the trofeo version i think it's gonna go like stink <laughs> there is next year though will be an all electric version the maserati grecali which will be maserati's first ev mm-hmm. and that will sell bucket loads for everybody who has company cars Absolutely. And it'll look fantastic in cities if that's the way it's going to go. Yep. Right, everyone, charge your glasses. Alan's taking the next one. As I said to patrons earlier on, Andrew has added a story about a hot Toyota. Because I wouldn't have included this. And the reason I wouldn't have included this is because I read some other stuff that we were sent, which is why I would have ignored it. But essentially, later on this week, Toyota is going to unveil a GR Corolla. It's going to be, it's rumored. To have 268 brake horsepower and four-wheel drive on the hot hatch, essentially using the GR Yaris drivetrain, but in the bigger Corolla body shell. And that's great. It's wonderful. You're all getting really excited about it, but it's not for Europe. Okay, this is essentially a US market only uh, car. So don't get your knickers in the twist. Well, to that news, I say... Boo and indeed hiss to Toyota. How dare you? I would like to start the campaign now to make sure this is brought over here to Europe. Because if they can bring the Yaris, why can they why can't they bring the Corolla? Because they've already brought the Yaris. There's no we can have both. I've not heard that it'll it'll never come here. That's not what I've heard though. So I will not give up hope. Right. Okie doke. And on that news, I'll go from hope to uh, <laughs> 
The Honda Civic E Hev. Sorry, a certain amount of who cares, really? On you go. It's the unfair. uh, We now have the information on the EU spec of the Civic. Now, this has been able to be launched at many, ignoring my colleague, this has been launched in many other territories around the world, but because of supply chain issues, they have not been able to get the new version out here do you know what maybe if they made them in the uk well that would be a crazy thing to do Mm -hmm. or even their other plant that they did have in europe as well yeah (laughs) Uh, what's the ehev it's their hybrid powertrain and it is going to combine a two liter four-cylinder petrol engine with two electric motors one of which is directly attached to the engine up front and the second is mounted underneath the rear bench we have to remember what Honda do with their hybrids is they use the petrol engine to power the electric motors, which then sends the power to the wheels. That's how Honda have decided to do it. Okay, fair yeah. enough. I, which is I, fine. I mean, that's it's, you, you just it is it is essentially a range extender. It's yeah. not unusual. BMW i3 works the same way. Great, brilliant. I just don't understand the market for it. I mean, it's it's like. Well, I, 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 you know what? I, I'm looking at the pictures of this in the Evo magazine link, which will be in the show notes, and they are at least being consistent, like they have been with the uh, HRV or whatever it is that you had for a couple of days that you got on. It with. was an HRV, yeah, I got on with really well, so well. Uh, they have continued the theme of the front three quarters of the car has been designed by one group of people. And the rear has been designed by someone else. Mm-hmm. Oh, why would you buy this car? I don't. I understand the man. You know, everybody goes, "Oh, SUVs, SUVs, oh, I hate SUVs." I understand the Maserati Gricali much better than I understand this. Yeah, I just don't. Get, I just don't know why you go buy it. There are so many other vehicles which are more interesting which are just as reliable, which are just so many. There's just what's the standout feature? Why am I buying this car? What makes me want to go and see it? And I find it very difficult to find this interest. I mean, to well, be don't honest. Forget, I struggled with the last generation in the, the Sport one, the, the 1.4 Sport, because if it yeah. wasn't in Sport, it was such a terribly dull car to be involved with as a driver. But I, I know I grumbled like heck about the HRV. We'll never be we'll never be allowed near a, near near a Honda again at this rate. But the the HRV was at least interesting, and as I say, it was actually as I said at the time, and possibly I'm being very unfair here. It was a very nice place to be inside, and maybe yeah. that's really you know most of the pictures here of the exterior and of the, and the story about the drivetrain. Maybe that's not what's those are not the things that are going to make people buy this. Maybe it's actually a lovely place to be inside, and that's its USP. Maybe I've just completely missed it. Yeah, we won't know for a while. <laughs> no, no, no. That's the problem. Hmm. That's the problem. Right, let's move away from new new car news then. Yes, say you fancy driving around the world, Andrew. Yes, I do, all the time. Brilliant. Yeah, well, yes, that's only to get away from other people. <laughs> and you were going to drive around the world, uh, what would you choose to take to do that? What would be your vehicle of choice for uh, circumnavigating the globe? Probably something incredibly ruggedy, uh, four-wheel drivey, 
easy to maintain on the road mm. in the middle of nowhere with my limited skills with a hammer and wrench. And probably with a reputation for reliability. Yes, yes. Right. Yes, yes. Okay, so not a 1989 Porsche 928 GT, as exhibited by father and son, pairing Philippe and Badouin de la Porte. Uh, let me just check my list. Um, hang on, let me go to the third page. Nope, nope, still not on there. <laughs> nope, exactly. No, it, well... Yes. Well, Philippe, when he was younger, took several long trips in a Renault 4, including traveling for four months through Africa. This is an excellent article. Do please go take a read of it. It will fill a good 10 to 15 minutes of your lunchtime. Uh, just the photography is as wonderful as anything, really, and it just looks great. So, Yeah, there's also a link through to the Delapause website that outlines in much more detail each of their adventures um, mm-hmm. in the 928. I, I, I just love... I mean, we love this sort of story. I mean, how many now have we put of where people have just gone and done what sounds like mad stuff, but they've just done it anyway in a variety of vehicles. And it's just brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant that people still do this in in today's age. I mean, it's one thing when it was, oh, cars are very new. We've got this chance to explore and all the rest of it. But still doing it today is just awesome. Yes. Uh, And obviously, um, yeah. There's one place that, that, that I wouldn't take it, and that's to possibly to the bottom of to the very su- southern points of Tierra del Fuego. Supposedly, all sorts of horrible things happen to Porsche 928s if you try and take them down there. Depending on your uh, license plate, I think. Yeah. Probably. Or perceived problems with your license plate. Anyway, list of the week, Mr. Clues. Yes, list of the week. It comes from Haggerty as well. They are dominating the second half of the show. They've done a cracking job recently on uh, their articles. But this one's from Anthony Ingram. And it is 20 old car features we miss. Alan. Some of them I don't miss at all. You're going to ask me for one. Yeah. Is there what I think I know which one? That I'm going to choose? Yes. Oh, no. Now I can't pick it. No. So the one I'm going to choose is the Clear Instruments. It's one that I harp on about quite a lot. Oh, that wasn't what I was thinking. It's one I harp on about quite a lot. Um, is Yeah, I do. I'm, I, I miss nice clear instruments and uh yeah easy to easy to read yeah it's a good it's a good choice there are there are several here that i quite like i've I've just seen we had we had one of them actually one of them in the the very first rav4 my parents had had exactly that one (laughs) is it uh, no no it's not the one i was thinking see i thought you'd go for the last one because you haven't mentioned Uh, that before scrolly 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 yes well that's another one yeah there's so many in here. I mean, there's some that people can just keep. I mean, you can just keep your ignition keys because they are actually a bit of a pain in the bum. And you can just keep your, your manual window winders. Oh, bless you. I know. I'm actually <laughs> on it with just about for absolutely everything else. Uh, okay, well, mine is the modest in-car lighting. Oh, right. Okay. Well, that's kind of tied to the, the instruments one. Yeah, because of the TFT screens and stuff, they're always bright, even when you yeah. turn them down. And you get an awful lot. And this is before we start getting to the vajazzling of the inside of interiors with mood lighting and all the rest of it. That oh, yeah, like, like please like stop my old doing man, it. Like my old man's BMW, where it is it is illuminated in the colours of his favourite football team. Aha! <laughs> uh-huh. All the choices, and and he went for football team colours. Okay. But yeah, it's, there is there is too much internal light now that you you feel or I do, my eyes really are 
strained at the end of night times. Plus, I'm old, but the end of nighttime driving because it's just too much. It's one of the things that makes a Mercedes so lovely to drive. Yeah, don't forget I got the Saab as well. If I'm if I'm, mm. if I'm in the Saab, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can just you've got the all the buttons to turn all the lights off. Yeah, that and half the displays don't work now. So that's yeah. fine. <laughs> Cars of a certain age. Yes, they ha- it now has an incredibly long list of things that need doing to it. And finally this week then mm-hmm. is, is a shooting brake Alpha Romeo GT V6. There's only one thing wrong with this, I guess. What's that? Doesn't actually exist. I know. I know. Who's the, the chap we know that's done the bread van and the Tesla estate? Can we have a word? Oh, Niels. Oh. Is it Niels? Uh, Niels. Oh, gee, Niels, I'm so sorry. He's done the um, the fancy Land Rover inserts as well. I'm very sorry that I cannot remember his name off the top of my head. Sorry, Niels. I apologize immensely. Neil, Neil Van Roy, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Neil Van Roy. I just, I could picture him. Yes. Absolutely. Well, yes, he, he would. Uh, I, I yeah, it's I, right I, up his strasse. It, it is. It <laughs> is. It is. It is rather cool. So what they've done is uh, Haggerty again have uh, got uh, Kiesel Salim to render an Alpha GTV six and stick an estate-ish shooting breaky bit on the back of it, and it looks fabulous. And if you click through on the the YouTube, he walks us through how he's done it. And it, oh, yeah. But the blue looks lovely on it as well. It is a really nice color. It just it just looks cool. Just looks yeah. cool. Yeah, and I like the the fact that he's gone for the LED lights as well. I I do. I know Ooh. lots of people don't like that, but I do quite like on older cars. I do like a a, a retro LED as long as it's not like you know center spot LED. If it's like the round ones. Do, do you know? Do you know what I saw, which was very weird the other day? What's that? Then? I saw a new Morgan. And it was really weird because it was it was obviously very very new. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know which flavor of Morgan is it a plus four. Is, are we on plus four or plus six or whatever it is at the minute? So it was a classic styled ones, and it was on it was on wired wheels, right? With a white wall tire. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then it had the really modern single horizontal line DRLs in the headlamps. Ooh. It was a bit and it it's was a bit black. Jarring. It was a little bit it was a little bit Cruella de Vil. <laughs> okay. And I, I don't think that's a compliment. Okay. So it was it was really it was just a quite an to me it struck me as quite an odd spec. And it was really the white walls that I think I particularly jarred with me. Yeah. But yeah, it was just really weird. Sorry. Mm. Apropos of practically nothing there. <laughs> it just struck me and then I never really mentioned it anywhere. Mm. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, I think we moved on from the end finally. So let's tramp on a little bit, a mo- little bit further to parish notes. Hyundai Ionic Five podcast was out the other week. The review mm. special edition. Those are the words I'm looking for. Uh, so do please go uh, give a listen to that. It's been out a couple of weeks now. Lots of feedback and thought and comment on that one. So thank you very much. Long may that continue. And also another one, which it, it didn't quite qualify to, as, as a story, uh, really, in, in, in the show this week. But uh, David Twohig, who's the former, how would you describe him? A- engineering 
uh, automotive engineer uh, yes. has yes. has uh, he also contributes uh, a lot to intercooler the intercooler as well as LinkedIn, because we have linked to an article or two of his on LinkedIn. We have, absolutely. So yes, he also writes for the Intercooler, loads of interesting stuff. But he's written a book called Inside the Machine, stories behind vehicles that he's been involved with, including the Nissan Qashqai, the Renault Zoe, and the Alpine A110. I'll be putting my money down to get a copy, because that that promises to be incredibly interesting. Yep. Totally, yes. totally my idea of a good read mm-hmm. uh, there. Well, a good read outside the realms of, you know, Russian spy thrillers and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but we haven't started a podcast on that yet. No, not yet. Oh, no, no, come on. <laughs> anyway, that I think the, uh, anything I missed, Andrew? Nope. Nope. Awesome. In which case, folks, don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback. Share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, in the meantime, what's the best way to get in touch with you? The best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crap Windscreen, you should find me there. Now, and if people would like to discuss even further about clear dials, what's the best way for them to do that personally? Uh, you can do that via Twitter, where I am at AJP Bradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y, for the spelling aficionados. We'll be back soon, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.